you're in with the ghost of radio. Welcome back to this Our Shared podcast about and for mid-century horror radio. I've been keeping the cauldron warm for you. While you've been going your way this week, you've wended your way back now to our cauldron where we pull out an episode of mid-century horror radio at random to listen to in our own ways and times, then come back here, hit some clips, discuss, listen, make sense, enjoy. That's the plan. So let's get rolling. Okay, our episode this week is called Execution, and it is from Lights Out Everybody. I am going to step away from our routine. And I'm going to say to you, I don't recommend that you instantly go off and listen to this episode on your own. This episode is one that I thought long and hard about before including in the cauldron, and it has taken this long for it to come up because it has remained boiling at the bottom. This episode is an important one, or it would not be in the cauldron, but it is fatally marred by racist epithets. And so here's what I recommend, that you stay here. I am going to go off, and I'm going to cut this audio, and for the first time ever, six seasons in, I am going to uh, editorialize. I am going to remove the racist epithets that are used by the show's host, creator, and writer, Arch Obler, and by the sponsor, spokesman, Frank Martin. I have never edited out, bleeped out audio before. I'm doing it here. Listen to this episode first, and then decide at the end of it if you want to go back and listen to the actual Lights Out episode. It is a standalone episode in the Lights Out canon, and in, I would say, the entire mid-century horror radio genre. So, that's what I propose to you. You know that I think very carefully about the things that I have curated for you. And I do feel like we're going to listen to this episode, but not without some safety rails. I do not feel right just sending you out to listen to an episode that uses a slur three times. So that's why I recommend you either just skip this episode entirely, skip it, or listen to this podcast episode, and think about whether you want to go back and listen to the original. So, that said, stay right here. All right, I am back from cutting this audio, and I think we all know by now how Lights Out would always begin with them saying, hey, if you scare easily, don't listen. Turn off your radio now. Arch is going to hearken back to that in his intro in a way that's entirely different, where he's going to urge you not to turn off your radio because of his important message. This episode is from April of 1943, and Arch somehow convinced the sponsor, Ironized Yeast, to let him do this episode without any sponsor breaks. So they didn't make any money from this, and they allowed Frank Martin to actually uh, take part in a sketch in the uh, break that is not doesn't mention ironized yeast at all. So this was a big deal and it was very serious. What was going on in April of 1943? 
the Allies were in the middle of the North African campaign that uh, began in June of 1940 and would end the next month in May of 1943, the next month after this episode. This was a push in Libya, Egypt, Morocco, Algeria, and Tunisia to route the Axis out of North Africa. And it was, of course, devastating for everyone involved from the people who lived there, who'd been under fascist oppression, and then suffered through the horrors of uh, three years almost of war, and for the soldiers fighting it. So the U.S. was actually in the middle of the second war bond, I think it was, second, the Series E bond drive to fund, raise funds in the middle of this. Well, as the North African campaign was coming to a successful close, people in the U.S. were starting to hear good news about what was going on. And so, yeah, this was the second war loan drive. And the goal was to raise $13 billion for the war effort. Now, we know, we have talked many times about how World War II was the beating heart of Lights Out, how often Arch directly, explicitly talked about the war and how often it was implicitly part of the plot. We know that he was passionate about the Allied war effort. So we're not surprised that he wanted to do this episode, which I believe he's going to claim is based on a true story about a Nazi series of executions in a small French village. Of course, you could find how many thousand real-life examples of this. It's hard to pinpoint exactly the one he was thinking of. But that is the background to this story about an execution. So that is the background. That is why Arch, he's going to explicitly say, this episode of Lights Out is dedicated to the war because I want you to be inspired by it to give more money to the second war loan. We'll get back to the word give. It's not the right word. This was explicitly to help meet that $13 billion goal. And that's why he wanted the sponsor to not get any revenue from this. It wanted to all go to the war loan drive. And that's why this intro is short and really out of character, out of step with the usual Lights Out intro. Ironized Yeast presents Lights Out. Everybody. Jobler. Tonight, the makers of Ironized Yeast bring you a story not of imaginary terrors. No, ladies and gentlemen, tonight's play will thrill and chill you beyond any power of the supernatural, because this story is based on cruel, grim reality. So tonight, we urge you not to avoid this excitement and tension. Rather, we urge you to turn your radios up and listen as you've never did before. The premise of the story, as you will hear, is we're going to open with this audio that the Nazi soldiers occupying a French town, one of them was shot at by 
some woman of the town and slightly injured. And so, to teach everyone a lesson, the Nazi commander is going to have 50 women chosen at random, executed, and he's making everyone gather to watch it. So, it is a revenge series of executions. It's about vengeance against these people, and that's going to be important at the climax of the story at the end, that this is about their revenge for a small, small, slight attack. So we're going to enter the story listening to this commander's report, which is being read to Hitler by one of his aides. Somebody is reading it to Hitler, reading this long report of what happened in this town. So let's enter the story there. On the day of April 7th, at 2 o'clock in the morning, Sergeant Karl Fischl, while on patrol duty in the town of Renoir, was shot at by unidentified woman and slightly wounded in the left thigh. In accordance with orders radioed from Paris headquarters, I at once placed the entire population of Renoir under arrest, and in accordance with further orders received, collected 50 female hostages to be hanged in the village square unless the criminal who had shot Sergeant Fischl was turned over to me at once. These French women were placed in the basement of the town hall, and precisely at sundown, having assembled the populace in the public square, I mounted the scaffold platform which had been erected there and spoke to this village of criminals. Attention! Attention! I warn you, no disturbances, or I will give the order to fire. Now, for the last time, who among you is guilty of this crime? Speak! So... Very well. The next time, every man and woman in this town will be deported for hard labor in the Reich. This time, we will proceed with the executions. Silence! Sergeant, the first prisoner. At this point in my report, may I explain that the 50 women to be executed had been picked at random by squads sent through the town a few hours before. I personally knew none of them, but I personally counted them as they entered the place of imprisonment, and I personally posted the guard. That I know. The first prisoner, bind her hands up to the platform. Noose around her neck. So, tighten the rope. Place her on the trap door. So, the prisoner will lift her head. Lift your head. Look at me. At this point in the report, may I describe the prisoner? Sex, female. Age, indeterminate. Clothes, indeterminate. She lifted her face as ordered. Then a strange thing happened. She smiled. Yes, smiled. You smile? Why do you smile? Very well, the trap door. Hang her. Her captain. Well, her neck is broken. Do not cut her down yet. People of the town of Renoir, the first of your women hangs here. The first evidence that to harm a soldier of the Holy Reich means death. Certain death. Remove the body. Bring out the next prisoner. This kind of inhumane or perhaps all-too-human cruelty is hard to listen to, and it is meant to be. You are meant to feel that you yourself are standing in that town square, in the rain, watching Innocent women chosen at random die for a non-crime. 
simply because their oppressors have the power to do it. It's going to be ramped up. The first woman has been hung, and now the next one steps up to the gallows or is forced up to the gallows. The prisoner will lift her face. Lift your face. <laughs> your face. You are related to the one who just died. Answer me. Very well. People of Renoir, you see before you the second of you who is to die for the crime against the Reich. This one, I can see, is related to the first. A sister, perhaps. It will not save her. The crime must be avenged. <laughs> you laugh. Hang her. Her captain, her neck is broken. Broken? So small a woman? Why should... Sergeant, they drop too far. Shorten the rope. Let them struggle before they die. The next prisoner. As you can tell, that second woman they hanged looked so much like the first woman. Oh, you must be sisters. They are going to hang a few more who all look eerily alike. You'll notice in this clip coming up the laugh, the little laugh that the woman does sounds exactly like the laugh of the mother-in-law in Knock at the Door, which we did last October. It's a little unsettling that that same laugh is used in this very different context, but you can't help noticing it. So here is the progression of each woman who comes up to the gallows looks exactly like the woman who came before, and it's beginning to unnerve them. Captain, look at her. I tell you, look at her. You. I. Sergeant. Sergeant. Yes, Captain. The bodies, are they down there? Yes, Captain. How many? Answer me, how many? Three. Three? Three. So, you, woman, you think you make jokes with me? You, you are of the same family. Yes, that is it. You are of the same... <laughs> hey, uh... At this point in my report, I will state only that I immediately ordered the next prisoner up to the scaffold. Captain, this one, the same? You crazy fool, how can that be? Here, the searchlight, here. No, you, you are not. How can that be? <laughs> Sergeant, how many now? The truth, tell me the truth. Four, four, Captain. The truth, I order you. Four bodies, I swear it, Captain. And their faces. Look at their faces. Answer me, their faces. All the same, Captain. The same. Okay, we've established the eerie part of a story that Arch has told us is not going to be supernatural. Didn't he say at the intro that this would be far more frightening than any supernatural story could be? Yet, spoiler alert, the ending is going to be 100% supernatural. Maybe what he was talking about are the sponsor breaks and the outro. We are coming to what would have been the sponsor break, where Frank, instead of talking about ironized yeast, is going to do a different dialogue. This is the first time that a racial slur is used, and I have removed it. You'll hear a little glitch there. Think very carefully about that that I had to remove a racial slur from that clip. 
think very carefully about Frank Martin saying this is no 10% war and think very carefully about him saying, let's take a moment to remind ourselves that we are where we are. You can tell Arch Obler wrote Frank's script here. We are where we are. We are, things are what they are. That's something Arch always said. We are in America where everything is safe and good and democratic. We are not in a town square in occupied France. Think about all those things as you listen to this. Ladies and gentlemen, let's take a moment now to look around to reassure ourselves that we are where we are in the free America of today, where thousands of people are able to say, Man, oh man, am I going good, making more money than I ever did. Sure, taxes are tough, and I'm putting my 10% in war bonds. But even so, I've got plenty left to spend for fun. To spend for fun? Do you think our fighting men in Africa are having fun? Was it fun for our boys at Guadalcanal fighting some foxholes? Being shot down in flames over Berlin, is that fun? Why, no, but like I said, I'm putting my 10% in war bonds. This is no 10% war, my friend. Our servicemen are fighting at 100%. And that's exactly why the news from Africa is good. Why we won at Guadalcanal. Why we're moving toward the offensive on other fronts. Do you want more American victories? Do you want our men to march into Berlin at the earliest possible moment? Why, yes, of course. Then back them up as they are fighting for us. 100%. Put that money you've got for fun into more war bonds. War is expensive, and if we hold back here on the home front, we'll needlessly prolong the war, thus throwing away thousands of American lives. Are dollars for fun more precious than the lives of American fighting men, of your fighting man? You know they're not. And remember, friends, the quicker the victory, the fewer lives lost. And if we want victory sooner... Every American of us must do more. So go to your nearest bank or post office, wherever war bonds are sold in your town, and put every cent you don't really need into bonds. Do it for your own sake and for the sake of our fighting men. They give their lives. We must lend our money. That message break that Arch clearly wrote and was no doubt proud of is what sends us into a tailspin with this episode. First, that it was a war loan. Americans could only be convinced to give money if they knew it was a loan and they could get something back from it. Next, that the U.S. is where everyone is free. It's a complete democracy. Well, we know that was not true. Was that true for African Americans? Was that true for Japanese Americans? The hypocrisy there hurts. But to stay on theme with this episode, it's the idea that you want to give or loan money to save American lives. This whole show was inspired by the North Africa campaign. And you have to think about how North Africa was perhaps the first maybe China, China or North Africa, the first place where everybody in Europe and America sat back and just let it be conquered and devastated by the fascists. Nobody lifted a finger in those places that became the allied nations when it was North African lives at risk or Chinese lives. 
So it's only when American lives might be risked that you need to step up and act. And really, you're giving money to avenge, not just pre- prevent American deaths, but to avenge those that have already happened. And this falls into the theme of the episode, which is revenge. And just this idea that the reason the allied nations are fighting the war is vengeance for only their own losses is so awful. Not fighting it for people, other people who might be harmed, people who aren't us, not fighting it for Jewish people and gay people and traveling people. No, when they all went down, it was fine to do nothing, to have a 0% war. America was not even in the war until it was attacked at Pearl Harbor. So this idea that we got into the war for revenge, we're fighting it for revenge, and all the allied nations just want revenge. It doesn't really add up to our definition of a just war, does it? Where you're fighting to proactively protect all other people who are the good people Arch talks about, not just yourselves. In this next clip, one of the women on the gallows starts talking to the commander, and she brings up this theme of revenge, which is going to take us through the entire remainder of the episode. You think you know about vengeance, you Germans. Well, you don't. Vengeance, too, has to be based on truth. And what is your vengeance? You began a war once and lost it. To whom did you lose it? To these little people. To that little rabbi whose back you broke in a concentration camp. To that little child who suffocated under her mother's body in Poland. At this point in my report, I state only that I made sure this one hanged until she was dead. And then I waited a little while before I ordered the next one out. The rain was very heavy. All the people stood there in the square below the scaffold, heads bowed to the rain. And in the light of the searchlights, they and the soldiers guarding them were like living dead, standing there unburied. Captain, this one, she's the same. What? Maya, bring her up here. No. You hanged her and she's not dead. Not dead? Who is she? Run for your lives. Run. Run. Bring her up here. She is not the same. She can't be the same one. Turn the searchlights on. The same one? Run! Stand where you are. Then open fire. Shoot them down. Sergeant Corporal, where are you running? Stand, soldiers. Do not run. I order you. The lights. Why did you turn off the searchlights? Turn them on. I order you to turn them on. My soldiers. Gone. Are you frightened, Captain? <clears throat> Put the rope around my neck. You are not safe. I saw you hang. Put the noose around my neck. The bodies. I can see them down there. Hang me. Ooh. You want your vengeance. Fifty times the rope must stretch. Fifty bodies piled like cordwood. <laughs> and you call that vengeance? Shall I tell you a vengeance, Nazi? The vengeance of the people of the murdered republics. What was their crime? They wanted freedom from poverty. And your battleships stood off their shores and your airplanes filled their skies and gave them blood to drink. 
their own. The vengeance of the people of Poland. What was their crime? They wanted to live, just to live. So the treads of your tanks ground them into the dirt and then your bombs lifted them out of the dirt. The vengeance of the people of Belgium whose crime was that they were weary of a battle they did not quite understand because you had given them confusion. And so you stripped them of human dignity and made them slaves to live on bloody knees before the masters of your Reich. The vengeance of Holland. Oh, that will be a horrible vengeance, Nazi. For their crime was the crime of being men, of standing up and saying, This is our land and this is our freedom. Dare take them from us. So you swept over them. And when they could no longer fight, you took your vengeance by the murder of 40,000 of them. And the vengeance of Great Britain. Oh, that will be a terrible vengeance, Nazi. It will be a vengeance that will... Oh. Oh, I will hang you. <laughs> Rope around your neck. Mouth talk. At this point in my report... I swear by the grave of my mother I tell the truth. I hanged this woman with my own hands. I made sure that she was dead. And then I reached down and cut the rope. I heard the body fall below in the dark. But when I got up off my knees and stood up on the scaffold again, another woman was there. And it was she. What about the vengeance of the people of Ethiopia? The vengeance of the people of Libya? The vengeance of the people of Morocco? The vengeance of the people of China? What was their crime? The Europe focus here is, yeah, you get it, but it's so wrong. You have to get that too, that it's so wrong. Didn't China and Burma and Thailand and all those nations suffered just as much? He's only focused on one group suffering, and again, only for the purpose of revenge. If Norway had never been invaded, if Belgium had never been invaded, well, they just wouldn't have joined the war, just like America didn't join the war until it had something to avenge. This really negative message reduces fighting fascism to some kind of vengeance movie. The thousand movies about avenging somebody that are out forever now. It's not the story of World War II that should be. As she continues with her listing, this is only going to become more of a mental burden for us. Vengeance of Norway. Theirs, too, was the crime of free men content to live on their own land. And you put a swastika over their crosses and murdered their sons and starved their children. And the vengeance of the Balkans. So many vengeances, Nazi. Did you ever think of them? You with your little vengeances against the helpless, the women, the children. Did you ever think of this moving mountain of great vengeance that is sweeping toward you? vengeance of the Russians, whose crime was that they wanted their own freedom, their own way, and who saw the hard work of twenty years ground under your pouncers and your stukas. Oh, Nazi, theirs will be a terrible vengeance. Theirs will be... 
then there was another one. Another, but the same. And the vengeance of the Americans. Their crime, that they were strong and they didn't like you and they laughed at you. And then their laughter turned to anger and you were afraid of their anger, so you lifted another one's hand and gave them the treachery of a knife thrust in the back. And you drowned their men in the seas and you... For, for the U.S., to have them give the only reason to join the war, to avenge Pearl Harbor, that's it. We just want to avenge the attack on Pearl Harbor, and that's it. If the Japanese Navy had never attacked Pearl Harbor, we would never have joined the Allied cause? Is that the message we're getting? Is it just about vengeance for vengeance, eye for an eye? If Pearl Harbor had never been attacked, would we still be sitting by? It's crucially flawed to bring the U.S. war effort up in this context, because it makes it seem very self-interested. We think of that during the next clip where the woman has a very effective litany of saying, they're dead, they're dead, they're dead. Is the U.S. fighting this war so that nobody has to die in an unjust way ever again? Is it for the future? Or is the U.S. just fighting the war? Are all the nations of the world just fighting the war to avenge their own people who have died in the past? And they don't really care beyond that. If the Nazis evacuated out of Norway, would Norway leave the war effort? How much of a 10% war is this? Are you? What do you want? I report this. They came on the platform, one after the other, one after the other. The scaffold moved under the weight of them. And then the lightning came again. And I saw all of them. She. Poland. Belgium, Holland, Norway, Greece, Yugoslavia, Russia, Britain, America. I tell you, Nazi, no matter what the clever ones try to do at the peace tables, the people will not forget their vengeance. They will not forget their dead children and their dead wives and their dead sons and their dead mothers and their dead sisters and their dead lovers and their dead hopes and their dead wasted years. They will not stop at the borders of your Germany this time. They will march into it, into your Germany, the people. And their vengeance will be on every one of you who traded the cross for a swastika and the great God of humanity for the little man who thought he was God. Who are you? All right, we come now to the ending, which, as I said, is 100% supernatural, though it's not supposed to be. And when the woman finally reveals her identity, it's as close as Arch is going to come. It's even closer than we expected he would ever come to admitting that maybe 
the reason the whole world is at war is not just because one group or two groups of people were evil, but because evil was allowed to stand and people stood by and did nothing while evil people took over the world. Let's roll through to this ending. I report only this one last thing. As I asked the words, who are you? Suddenly, it was no longer all these women speaking with one mouth, but in the rain and the lightning, I saw them moving together, and all of them began to become one woman, a terrible thing that grew and grew into the air. I lifted my face to see. The lightning crashed about the top of her, and it was still that woman, towering higher and higher into the air. And when she spoke... Her voice was the thunder. Listen to me, Nazi. When that vengeance comes, you shall not hide behind your little man. For his crimes are his crimes, and your crimes are yours. And each must pay for his crimes. Who are you? For the good people of this world will not die this time in vain. This time the vengeance will be their vengeance, and the everlasting peace their peace. Who are you? I report, I ask that, and suddenly I was lifted in the air. There was thunder and lightning around me too, and up where I was, her voice was a whisper. I am a French woman who stayed away from my own land too long. So long that some of my countrymen had forgotten that even the memory of me lives only where men fight for me. Who are you? I close my report. This French woman told me her name, and she told me a place. Through the thunder crash I heard her. And then the lightning struck, and I was falling through the air. And when I awoke, it was morning, and she was not there. And the scaffold was burned to the ground, and there were no bodies, and the village square was empty. This, this is the, the end, end of, of my report. You can't hide behind the crimes of your leader. His crimes are his, and your crimes are are yours. Yes, the Nazis, the fascists, were evil. They are still evil, as they are at work in our world today. And to ignore or to appease evil, that's our crime. We don't have to be actively on the side of the evil to let it flourish. That seems to be a lesson that she begins to address. Briefly, she says, my own people forgot that they need to fight for me. Of course, we're going to find out. She's the Statue of Liberty. Oh, I just ruined the second ending. So it's Liberty. It's Liberty. It's Liberty who this woman is, not justice or equality. And Liberty has been described throughout this episode in her list of nations as free people just wanting to live their lives in peace. And it's never questioned how free any of those nations were before 
they were invaded and overthrown by fascists, how much equal rights had made headway in those nations. But it's an important question, of course. And you would hate to think that you fought the most horrific war in human history only to settle old grudges of revenge and not to create a more just world going forward. It can't be that when, after the war, people said, never again, this will never, ever be allowed to happen again, that they were simply talking about their own kin loss of life. It couldn't be, right? You wouldn't want that to be the case. All right, let's roll through that second ending where we find out that she is the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> Can you imagine such a report, mein Führer? A woman who grows into the sky. Now, of course, the man will be shot. Um, wait a minute. There seems to be an addition to the report. Uh, it says, Note, the French woman said she could be found at latitude 41 degrees north and at longitude 74 degrees west. Investigation indicates this is a place in the western hemisphere known as Bedloe's Island. Further investigation indicates that there is only one French woman on this island. She is called the Statue of Liberty? That is it. That's the second ending. It's going to be very hard to listen to Arch's outro here because I had to take two clips out of it because he uses a hate-filled racial slur. And to hear him speak in an impassioned way about how we're fighting for justice and equality and him being content to use a racist slur, it just doesn't work, does it? He knew, as everyone knew, about Japanese internment camps in the U.S. Seems like he had no problem with that. So to hear his impassioned plea for justice and equality really rings hollow when you think about how much injustice and inequality he was accepting on a daily basis in his own country where the Statue of Liberty is located. Let's hear it. Let's listen to the two blank spaces where I have to take out the hate speech from a speech about justice. I see what you mean, Mr. Obler. The Nazis can kill people, but they can never kill the spirit of victory. Yes, we've seen that proved over and over again in this war. We know how men, women, and children in France and Holland and Norway and every other country that's come under the Nazi heel are fighting back in every way possible. But we know equally well that the will to win is not enough. They can't fight or the Nazis with courage alone. The only way to fight these murderers effectively is in the language of bombs and bullets. Now, we on the home front who sleep in our comfortable beds and eat good meals in spite of shortages, we're being asked only to send our money to back up those who are fighting for our freedom. Now, if a Nazi isn't outside your door waiting to take you off to a concentration camp because you pray to your God on Sunday, or if isn't waiting with an executioner's sword, stained with the blood of an American aviator, to cut off your head, it's only because all over the world men and women of courage are fighting your battle. So the next time you take out a dollar and think, oh, what can I buy now? Think again. 
Is there anything I want more than I want a world of peace and justice and security of loved ones back home again? And then do what your heart and mind tell you you must do. Put every dollar and dime you don't need for actual necessities into this fight by putting them into war bonds and stamps. This may be our last chance to buy the right to live as free men. Thank you, Mr. Obler. I wonder if that right can be bought to present it as something you can purchase is already sending us down the wrong path. You can't fight a just war because you hate a certain race of people. You can't fight a just war because you're angry that a certain race of people killed people in your own country. You can only fight a just war when you're willing to support everyone who is just against anyone who is unjust, and to stand up for equality. Equality that crosses racial lines, sex lines, sexual orientation lines, whatever it may be. And it seems clear that Arch was not in a place to do that. And someone might say, well, yeah, it was 1940s. Nobody was doing that. It's harder to figure out what the rationale is for our own time and our own failure to do that. We are in a number of wars right now ourselves. Our shared podcast, Like Lights Out, is colored by the wars that we are going through right now and the wars that may be looming. So it's only right that once in a while we address that fact too. We talk about the milieu that we are in which is in many ways pretty dark, especially when you would have really thought World War II might have taught a lasting lesson. No lessons last. That's the thing about being a human being. Anything you specifically lay out that you are never going to forget or repeat will be something you forget and repeat. It takes constant, constant vigilance to do anything else. But the first step you can take in that vigilance is not to kid yourself about what makes a just war. And it's pretty simple. If you are striving to reduce the human rights of a certain group, then you're not fighting a just war. Let's take that lesson that Arch simply couldn't give us into our own worlds now as we leave the cauldron once again this week we get the real feeling that perhaps it is later than you think. Just last week with change of address, we were bemoaning a cookie cutter story with some boring and hackneyed stereotype cliche memes and alleged plot points that we were tired of. And we longed for a story that was more challenging and more thought-provoking that could really shake up the way we're looking at the world. And this episode has delivered. It was not easy. And we don't want to have every story we pull out of this cauldron be as tough as this one was, but every once in a while, it has to happen. We all live in the real world in many different places, including Azusa, Minneapolis, Portland, and Birmingham. We all have to deal with real-world evils. 
But we all, every one of us, also have the opportunity and the power to do real good in this real world. And that's an inspiring and invigorating thought that we can use to shore ourselves up and to know that, as I believe sometimes Arch will say, good can overcome evil. So once in a while, we can take a very direct lesson about doing that, as long as we have each other here for support. So think about this episode, if you will, as you go your way this week. And as you do, be safe. Be sure everyone is safe and happy. And I'll see you soon. Is there anything I want more than I want a world of peace and justice and security of loved ones back home again?